the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Uh, six minutes after six o'clock on a Thursday, J.R. Davis is here. Seth uh, is here as well. Good to have him with us. And uh, we're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about culture. We're going to talk about a whole lot of things today. But first, uh, I want to uh, do a salute to uh, uh, a great country writer, Billy uh, Joe Shaver. And I don't even expect that J.R. and Seth know who I'm talking about. I mean, <laughs> I know it's terrible. For instance, you probably don't even know this song. Bring it up, Heidi. I'm just an old chunk of coal. I'm going to be a diamond someday. I'm going to grow and glow till I'm so blue. Perfect. going to put a smile on everybody's face. I'm going to land free every day Unless I should become vain along the way I'm just an old chunk of coal now, Lord But I'm going to be a diamond someday All right. Billy Doe uh, Shaver died uh, Wednesday, 81 years old. Uh, best known, his songs were done by Willie. They were done. Uh, Elvis did a couple of his songs. I'm trying to think. Uh, Chris Christofferson, Emmy Lou Harris, great names of country music. Uh, he is he's always going to be historically tied to the outlaw movement uh, and uh, and uh, Waylon Jennings' uh, album about outlaws and things of that nature. Uh, I asked Heidi to look up a song for me because I wanted uh, her to play it. This is probably one of Waylon's most famous songs, and uh, I wanted to play a little bit of it, so we'll do that in talking about, uh, you know, honky-tonk heroes. Here you go, a little Waylon for you. did everything that needs done Woe is me, why can't I see I'd best be leaving well enough alone them neon lighting nights Couldn't stay out of fights Keep a haunting me in memories Well, there's one in every crowd For crying out loud Why was it always turning out to be me? Where does it go? The good Lord only knows Seems like it was just the other day I was down at Green Gables Hawking them tables and 
generally below in all my hard-earned pay. Piano rolled flutes, danced holes in my shoes. There weren't another other way to be for lovable losers. No account losers and honky-tonk heroes like me. That's just that's just good music. Like that's it. all I that is. I agree with you completely. 
It's a good way to start the show. I feel like we should do that every Thursday. Yeah, well, I try to. If there's anything that I, any way I can sneak country or rock in, (laughs) Heidi will tell you, I'll figure out a way of doing it. Yes. I will will figure a way to do it because music's always been a big part of my life. I know it is for a lot of people. Uh, it, it, It gives you an emotional connection to different times in your life. I mean, 73. Uh, when that song came out by Waylon, man, I was in college. I was in the middle of my college experience. And uh, I'd be out at the fraternity house, and that, that song would be blaring over the, over the speakers there at the, uh, at the frat house. And I'd be standing by uh, Jim Dooley, one of my fraternity brothers, who his, his uh, joke was he was a Vietnam veteran. He lost his eye while he was in Vietnam, and he had a glass eye. And if you weren't looking... Weren't paying attention. He popped that eyeball out and dropped it in your beer. <laughs> <laughs> and there's something about there's there's something about taking a drink of beer and having an eyeball roll up from the bottom of the glass against your lips that gets your attention, to say the <laughs> least. <laughs> I gotta laugh about that. I just thought about that. Just just thought about that a few moments ago. Anyway. I got another fraternity brother who's a really great artist now, Bill Durkis, and uh, I asked him, I, I commissioned him yesterday uh, to paint a picture of the old fraternity house uh, that I want, and I want to hang it uh, here in my house because a lot of great memories from that. He did, he had pick, uh, done a picture of the barn behind the fraternity house, which was uh, where all the potheads went to smoke, and I told him I didn't spend that much time out there. Bill, I'm not interested in the barn. I am interested in the house. So he's, uh, I commissioned him, but he's got five more commissions before me, and the guy is really good. So anyway, with all that said, uh, did you guys listen to much of the, uh, of the CEOs from uh, uh, Twitter and from uh, Facebook and Google uh, answering the questions of the senators about, uh, you know, their censorship and, and things that they've been up to? I'm not sure about Jr. I had not caught a lot of it yesterday, other than knowing that it happened. Uh, this time of year is very tunnel visioned. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I didn't have a chance. I mean, I, I saw pictures of of Jack Dorsey uh, looking as as emo as possible, um, but otherwise, uh, that's about all I uh, gathered from uh, the hearing yesterday. I would like to go back and actually um, listen to it. To. I do think it's it's very it's a very important issue. Um, but yes, unfortunately, like Seth said, it just happens to be taking place a week before uh, the most important election we've had in quite a while. Yeah, you guys have been busy, haven't you? You've been you've been up doing yeah, your business. <laughs> so you know, here's here's what's interesting is that Dorsey was uh, you know talking about how uh, how Trump, you know, they 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 censor or or put shade on his tweets uh, because. Uh, uh, it's political matter, and it was so great. Gardner, the senator from Colorado, asked him, but you don't see anything wrong with posting uh, tweets from the Ayatollah uh, denying the Holocaust and calling for the destruction of Israel. And right. uh, Dor- yeah, Dorsey, he, he started doing some tap dancing then. I'm just sure. telling you. Yeah. It, was, it was really an amazing... Go, go back and watch that hearing it's 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 well worth your time and uh ted cruz really got out at him as well he asked dorsey 
uh, if he thought that uh, he was having any effect on the election. Dorsey said no. <laughs> and Cruz just started laughing and said, oh, come on. You're not trying to have any kind of effect on the election. And, and Dorsey, with a straight face, the hypocrite that he is, said no. Mm. I mean, to say that he's a hypocrite is an understatement. About what well, even if, if if you're Jack Dorsey and you think that, for example, Twitter is doing a public good in censoring articles like the New York Post story on Hunter Biden, you could at least say you are having an impact on the election by keeping it more honest, by, by keeping out uh, false information that, that could be, you know, uh, sponsored by foreign governments. I mean, it. it I don't believe that to be the case. But if you're a Jack Dorsey, you could at least think that your influence could be contained as a positive one on the election. The fact that he thinks they have absolutely uh, no positive, no negative influence, I think, is just really confounding, <laughs> to yeah. be honest. Well, you know why? You know, they're they're worried right now about uh, that that section in the Communications Act 230, because the Democrats are even after these guys for for some of the stuff that they're doing. It's unbelievable that yep. they are, but they because they're the beneficiaries of what Dorsey is has been doing. But uh, uh, the New York Post article, uh, Jack Dorsey uh, yesterday falsely told senators that his company lifted a ban on users tweeting articles from the post-Hunter Biden uh, expose despite the fact that the uh, ban remained on one of the post-bombshell stories and was only lifted after Dorsey made the claim yesterday, finally allowing it to be tweeted out uh, for everybody. I mean, they've done everything they can to suppress that story. Not only did they suppress it from the New York Post, but uh, we've had people in committees, uh, you know, Washington uh, politicians, that have uh, con- uh, you know retweeted that story, and they ban it from from them and from their committees. It's absolutely yep. unbelievable what they did. Well, it's it's uh, that's where I think the scariest part of as we progress as a society, there's this thinking that you know, especially from uh, you know, some of these tech giants and even the media. Uh, where, you know, they start being very selective, you know, and, and, and basically telling the American people what 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 is actually news, what isn't news, what's worth reading, what's not worth reading. Um, and when you start really being selective like that, uh, I think that, to me, is what uh, becomes very dangerous in terms of, um, you know, uh, free press, free speech, you know, uh, and, and letting... Uh, the American people choose uh, what they think is uh, newsworthy. And I think we've seen that under attack a lot uh, this election cycle, and especially through COVID-19. All right, I want to talk about what Cruz had to say yesterday, but we got to take a break before we do that. J.R. Davis is here. South Mays is here. And we're talking politics as usual on a Thursday morning early. I give these guys credit. They're, they're burning the candles uh, all over the candle right now with the election going on. We'll be back to speak more with them in just a moment here on the Dave Ellswick Show. 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, 25 minutes after 6 with uh, Seth Mays and J.R. Davis. J.R. Davis with the Gilmore Group. Seth Mays is uh, with the Arkansas GOP. 
Uh, he is the spokesman for them and uh, comes on the show every Thursday uh, to give uh, their opinion. And I, I've had people ask me, well, what about the Democrats? I've called the Democrats. They don't return my calls. I'm going to be honest with you. So uh, I don't know uh, what to tell you. You call them and ask them to be part of the Dave Ellswick show. Uh, Maybe you'll have better luck than I do. Yesterday, when the CEOs of the uh, major social media companies uh, were in front of the, I think, um, is it the Communications Committee? Is that what it was that they were in front of? I I forget what the, the, the official name of that group is where where is i get it for you here real quickly anyway they 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 got them in front of them and started asking them questions cruz did really well uh and and here's a question i got for you guys you know you know ted cruz ran back in the uh uh, the primary in in 2015-16 and uh, got knocked out he was the last one standing so to speak before uh, Trump got the got the nod do you think that he's working on t- 2024 right now Sure. And uh, Ted Cruz has said as much. Megan Kelly had launched a podcast here in the last couple of weeks, and it sort of took off the ground very quickly. And she had a lot of high profile guests on in her first week, like Ben Shapiro and Ted Cruz. And that was her last question. She said, now, you know, 2024, let's just be honest. Are you going to run or are you going to not? And Ted Cruz, I think, gave more of an honest answer. Uh, than a lot of folks would in his position, which said, yeah, if you look at my age, I've got lots of years ahead of me. As you noted, Dave, he came in second place in the last Republican primary for president. So he said, sure, absolutely, I'm looking at it, and I would expect to see Ted Cruz's name on the ballot in the future at some point. So I, he's, I think he's very open about that, and I think he is, as many people are, trying to position themselves as the candidate to take up the mantle after the Trump presidency. So what about you, Jr.? What do you think? You think Ted is uh, going to be a viable candidate in 2024? Yeah, uh, I think Ted, and you know, possibly every other member of the Senate, and you know, every Republican governor. I mean, it's going to be ridiculous. 2024, <laughs> uh, especially uh, if Biden goes on to win uh, this election, I think it's going to be. Uh, you know, we're just going to continue to see that primary on both sides, uh, just packed uh, to the gills with, with hopefuls, and for whatever reason. You know, I think Ted Cruz is a, is a viable candidate. Yes, absolutely. I think he's shown that uh, he has the infrastructure. Um, you know, he's, he's done it before, um, certainly. Uh, others, you know, it, it helps, you know, uh, grow your profile. We saw that with some Democrats in this primary. We've seen it uh, with Republicans uh, in 2016 that ran. Um, so, you know, I think there will be a lot of people that run uh, for different reasons. But, yes, I think Ted Cruz is a viable uh, candidate. Do I think he'll be the one that gets, you know, the nod? I don't know. Uh, primaries are starting to get more and more uh, just fickle. It's it's just not um, – you just never know who's going to come out of those primaries now with just the makeup of both parties. You know, it's going to be interesting. Three people that – I would say that I would expect to see in 24, and I know we're not even done with 2020 yet, and people are saying, what are you talking about that, Dave? And the thing is, is I'm always looking forward. I think Trump wins, and uh, it's going to be, 2024 is going to be very interesting. 
And if uh, Trump wins, don't count out Pence. Uh, Pence will run for president. I have no doubt about that. Uh, I, I believe that Ted Cruz is going to run, and I also think Nikki Haley is going to run. That Those three right there are strong, strong candidates. And uh, we got about well, 20 seconds remaining here. We'll, we'll pick it up on the other side. we got news coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show, news and traffic and weather and all the rest. The main heavy rain has moved out of our area. Stay tuned for more information here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. 25 minutes till 7 o'clock. J.R. Davis is with us from the Gilmore Group. Seth Mays is with us from the Arkansas GOP. We're talking politics right now. What a big surprise. Uh, wanted to give you a little weather update and time update. Don't forget uh, that uh, we're going to fall back on uh, early Sunday morning. You don't have to wake up to set your clock back uh, for the most part because your phone's going to do that for you. Uh, just know we lose an hour on early uh, Sunday morning at 2 a.m. Uh, also, uh, on on uh, Saturday morning, uh, or pardon me, Sunday morning and Monday morning, if you got plants that are out, I do, I'm going to bring them in because uh, we're supposed to hit freezing or below freezing uh, on uh, Sunday morning, early, and Monday morning. Don't know how long they're saying we're going to go under uh, the 32-degree mark, but uh, they're saying on Sunday morning when we get up, it's going to be 31 degrees. So it's, you know, winter's just around the corner. Hate to tell you guys that, but winter's just around the corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I look, and as I'm looking forward, we will get into the 70s uh, next week. Uh, but then we're going to quickly get back down into the uh, upper 60s. So, you know, fall is uh, falling away. Winter is knocking on the door. So I just want, I got to get out uh, after my lawn dries up and, mulch up the leaves that are out there because a lot of leaves fell yesterday with those hard rains that we got from from zeta who came aboard the uh, the coast down in the in louisiana and mississippi uh, a category two uh, hurricane and uh, they were talking about uh, biloxi had uh, 110 mile an hour winds for a while down there so uh, it, uh, it shook a few people up again, and look, they don't have any room for the water anymore down in that area. So I'm sure they had a lot of flooding again uh, as well. All right, so let, let's get back to what we were talking about. I was mentioning to you uh, about uh, this meeting that uh, they had with the CEOs, the uh, Senate uh, did, uh, with the CEOs of uh, the social media companies. Uh, and Dorsey was there, and Zuckerberg was there, and all those guys were up. Uh, a part of that and uh, Ted Cruz I want to read something that he said to them that I thought was uh, really good uh, he went after he really went after uh, Dorsey and in one uh, part of this uh, interview that he had with Dorsey he said quote Mr. Dorsey who the hell elected you and put you in charge of what the media are allowed to report and what the American people are allowed to hear, and why do you persist in behaving as a democratic super PAC, silencing views to the contrary of your uh, political beliefs? Now, Dorsey claimed that this was not the case. He denied that Twitter has the ability to uh, influence elections, a claim that Cruz derided as absurd. 
He says, you're testifying to this committee right now that Twitter, when it silences people, when it censors people, when it blocks political speech, that that has no impact on elections. And Dorsey said people have choice of other communication channels. Now, I think Dorsey, in that answer right there, has opened himself up uh, for the uh, elected officials and the American uh, people to look at them as more of a publisher type of a situation than as the uh, community billboard, as they try to to say that they are. What say you guys? Uh, Who wants to start with this one? JR, you want to start? Sure. Uh, Yeah, I think we talked about this a little bit. I mean, I haven't had a chance to to really, uh, you know, watch what took place yesterday, but you know, I think that there's certainly it doesn't take a, um, a genius to figure out that you know there has been some su- suppression uh, from some of the uh, the you know big tech companies uh, throughout this election. Obviously, Twitter's the one that's gotten the most attention. Yeah, um, and so I think that you know, when you really um, uh, get down to it, uh, you know, we all know where most of these people lean. We know their politics for the most part, or at least it's easy to kind of figure out where their politics lies. Um, and so every time you've got someone like a Jack Dorsey uh, up there in front of uh, someone like a Senator Cruz, and, and he's just getting blistered on the fact that, yes, indeed, Twitter has, uh, you know, tried to uh, suppress some of the conservative right, um, whether that's uh, the news coverage we talked about with um, uh, with with uh, Biden's son, um, or whether it's the tweets from the president, um, and that and this is the issue here, Dave. It's it's you know they they look they they act like this is some sort of you know consistent sort of blanket approach uh, to speech, hate speech, whatever they want to call it, address it, the lies, falsities, whatever it is. But like you said, they they allow you know the Ayatollah to to tweet things. Uh, they allow um, you know far left uh, activists and Black Lives Matter groups, and you know they, like I'm just saying groups that you know they're, they're very. It's easy to see that Twitter favors a specific population. Oh yeah, um, and, and message. And so to say, just you know, look a senator in the eye and say, no, absolutely, this is sort of a blanket approach, is just you know, disingenuous. And I think that's probably what, uh, you know, Jack Dorsey especially came across as yesterday. Yeah. Before you talk here, Seth, let me tell you what Dorsey said. He claimed that his policies are, quote, making sure more voices on the platform are possible, unquote, because they silence abuse and harassment. He did admit that the policy under which the post story was censored was flawed, though. But, you know, that's... I mean, I can't believe he said what he said. We're doing this to make sure we got the the opportunity for more people to get on our platform because we're throwing shade on people. That's just amazing to me. What do you think about that, Seth? A couple points on that. One, from a PR perspective, I think it would benefit a platform greatly for somebody like Zuckerberg or, or Jack Dorsey to be more open to conservatives. I'm reminded of Roger Ailes, the founder of Fox News, political guru for Nixon, for all of 
his faults, which there are many. Roger L. said if the media had a conservative bias, he would have been the biggest liberal in TV. But that wasn't how it happened. There was a liberal bias, and so he was a conservative. But from a business model, he had an incentive to appeal to conservatives. And I just think if one of these CEOs uh, would really look at the numbers, they would find themselves, if, if Zuckerberg, for instance, decided he was going to do this at Facebook, that he was going to be more inviting of conservatives to admit in a hearing like yesterday, you know what, perhaps Facebook does have a bias, and, and you're right, and we need to work better for that and, and be an opening and welcoming place to not just liberals in Silicon Valley, but to conservatives you know, in Dayton, Ohio. We need to be where the people are. If, if one of these guys were, were to do something to that effect, I think it would, from a PR standpoint, be a great move for them, much in the way it was for Roger Ailes. When you see that there is something not being done in your realm of work, if you're the person to offer that, it's probably going to be to your benefit. It's supply and demand. The other thing on censorship we had brought up last week, and I love to bring up this point anytime it happens, the problem with censorship is obviously it's bad the moment it happens, right? I mentioned last week in the 2012 debate with Candy Crowley of CNN, when she told Mitt Romney, no, sir, you're wrong on the Benghazi thing, uh, President Obama did call it a terrorist attack soon after happening. Well, that actually wasn't true, and she issued a correction later. But people don't see the later correction. That's right. People don't see Jack Dorsey saying, hey, we screwed that up. They just saw the fact that it was censored, right, most people. And once you get that initial uh, point across, it's almost impossible uh, to, to come back from that in, in the public perspective. So social media has an impact on the front end. They have an impact on the back end as well. Yeah, well, and I, too, I would say, uh, you know, I would also say, too, that when you have someone like Jack Dorsey up there saying that, you know, their algorithm or their protocols or whatever it was failed them on the post story, uh, I, I just, I just gotta call BS on that. It's subjective. <laughs> I mean, that's what they're, well, that's what they're doing. There's not an algorithm. If you're, if you would see, you, it would be uh, more and more stories from both sides that there was some sort of algorithm, right, that caught certain words or, or you know, certain outlets or that sort of thing. I mean, this was a subjective decision uh, to screen this story, um, and that is what they, that is what they are doing. And I agree with Seth. After the fact. You know, it's like corrections in the newspaper. What is it on, like, the third – Seth, what is it, like, the third page at the bottom in a little box that says, oh, by the way, we got something wrong? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. I read thing. the paper every day. I can't even tell you where the corrections are. Yeah. It's, like, on the third page at the very bottom in a little square that basically says in about four lines, hey, we got this part wrong. You know, that's that's essentially – I mean, that's what we're, we're seeing here. We're seeing these, uh, uh, these tech giants – uh, you know, after the fact, say, ah, you know what, we, we got this wrong, we'll, we'll be better. I mean, last time I checked, congressional hearings are not necessarily the most watched or publicized uh, events uh, in the world, especially uh, when it comes to uh, Internet censorship. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I just thought that was just an absolute blatant lie, uh, basically saying, oh, well, our, our, our system failed us. No, it was a subjective decision, and that's exactly what these tech giants do. All right, when we come back, John Thurston, Secretary of State, sent me the voting numbers through Tuesday. I'll share them with you when we get back, and uh, we'll talk about what it means. Does it mean anything? We'll talk about it when we 
return on the Dave Ellswick Show here at 101.1 FM, The Answer. That's right. They can't censor. They can't censor what we're going to talk about. They haven't haven't even tried. And uh, they can't, uh, of course, you know, you know, throw shade on you, so to speak. Uh, you know, we're going to give you all the information uh, that you need to know and make a good decision. All right. From John Thurston, the secretary of state. I got this yesterday at two in the afternoon. Early vote totals through Tuesday for 2020. 534,264 votes have been cast. Uh, The same time in 2016, 347,150 ballots uh, had been cast. Absentee ballots uh, requested 130,629. And absentee ballots returned 100,175. So uh, right now, turnout is uh, larger. Seth, we had talked about this last week, and you said by the uh, end of the election, things will probably level out. And I agree with what you what you say uh, as far as that's concerned. But if the turnout is somewhat bigger, which it may be, my question to you all, typically that means good things for Democrats, but are we running that same kind of race now? I don't know if I agree with that. I I see a whole lot more excitement on the Republican side than I see on the Democrat side. What say you guys? Let's start with you, Seth. Yeah, I think uh, when it's all said and done, I expect 2020 to be larger turnout than 2016. The question is just going to be by how much. And the interesting thing about those numbers from the Secretary of State's office is that is actually a floor. The number is larger than that. Uh, Each county is to report to the Secretary of State's office, but some counties lag behind. So I checked the SOS data yesterday, and it had about 280 people voting in Mississippi County in Northeast Arkansas, and that's uh, that's just a delay in reporting. That isn't a, a problem of Secretary Thurston. This, I remember back in 2018 under Secretary Martin, the same thing happened. So it isn't a fault on their end. It's just sometimes it takes a little bit for information to get from one place to the other. So uh, whatever number you see for early voting, it's actually probably going to be higher than that. And there's just a delay. And I think at this point, the hard partisans have voted, right? Those are the people waiting in line at 4.30 in the morning here in Little Rock to vote at one of the voting locations. Right. I have to imagine those are people that have waited four years to vote for Donald Trump and people that have waited four years to vote against him. It's the, it's the hard R's and the hard D's. And so at this point, the trend that I have noticed from day to day is slight increases for registered Republicans in early vote, which is certainly good to see. So I think if, if we just cut off voting at the first two days of early voting, we, boy, I think we'd have a pretty split election simply because it's just the people who are emotional, for lack of a better word, on both sides who, are, who have really waited for this. But as, as we continue to rack up days of early voting, I think particularly here in Arkansas, it's to the benefit of Republicans. All right, Jr. what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I, I look. I, Seth will tell you. I, I call you know Seth usually once a day uh, to walk me through some of the numbers, and so I know he's paying close attention to this. You know, I think that uh, you know I've said this really from the beginning. Last week made me you know kind of waver just a little bit, uh, but I, I thought that a lot of this would be front loaded based 
largely on just the environment we're in with COVID-19. I think a lot of people were trying to get in early thinking, you know, if they voted early in the first few days of early vote, it'd be faster, uh, easier, uh, safer in, in their minds. And so I think that's what we saw a lot last week. Um, as far as excitement goes, look, I don't, I just don't see, at least here in the state of Arkansas, the excitement for like a, a particular, like if you're the Democrats, it's not an excitement for your candidate. It's sort of this excitement for getting rid of Donald Trump. Uh-huh. And I think that that's, that is not as, uh, that is, is not as a, as a forceful sort of um, incentive for people as going out and voting for a particular candidate. And so that's what I think we're seeing across, you know, the Democratic Party is more of an excitement to get rid of Trump, less about any particular candidate. Um, I do think there's some excitement around Joyce Elliott from some Democrats. But, you know, we were kind of visiting through the break. Um, I just I don't see a path for her um, to to win this election, especially when you consider, you know, the 2018 outcome, uh, how much of the vote, you know, someone like. A Clark Tucker uh, got when he was running against Congressman Hill and lost. Got about fifty nine and a half percent in Pulaski County. That's a pretty high amount, um, yeah. and I think that that's probably what uh, Joyce Elliott is is looking at. Uh, though I don't, I still don't know. I'm, I'm not saying I'd be surprised if she got there even above that, but I, I still think fifty nine and a half percent is a lot. Um, I'll be interested to see where she comes in there. And then here are the other roadblocks for her is just the surrounding counties. Um, and I don't believe that the, uh, that the electorate and the, um, you know, kind of population of Faulkner and Saline County have changed that much since 2018. No. Um, so she would have to do better than someone like a Clark Tucker did in those counties as well. We'll see. Um, I do think at the end of the day, uh, Congressman Hill uh, will win reelection. Um, and we'll head back to Washington where we need him. Um, he's been a terrific leader throughout this whole COVID-19 crisis. Uh, he's been a champion of, uh, of our veterans. Um, and, of course, uh, as you've probably seen, Dave, on the ads, he's, he's cut taxes, strengthened Medicare and Social Security, um, and he's somebody that we can trust. He's on my show. He's on my show yeah. every Wednesday. Yeah. So it's, it's a good thing for the people of Arkansas to have him back in Congress. We just got to wait a few more days to get him there. Uh, and ultimately, I think that will be the result. Yeah, I'm, I'm very uh, I'm, I'm very solid in thinking that that uh, French Hill wins reelection to the second district. I th- I think he's going to win five or six percent, to be honest with you, because to, to narrow it down even more, Joyce Elliott would have to get like 70 percent out of Pulaski County, and that's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And you're yep. not gonna, she's not going to make big inroads in Faulkner or in Saline County. Mm-hmm. She may make less inroads in both of those counties for the people who know anything about her, uh, well, her history. No, you're right. And here's the thing, too, quickly, is that, you know, she's uh, – it, it's not just – you know, our people are going to come out and vote. Republicans are going to vote. We know who's going to come out. If you look at the numbers from 16 and 18, you sort of see similar turnout. You know, this is still a pandemic, and we have to keep that in mind. That's something you have to factor in. 
there aren't these, you know, get out the vote rallies. You're, you're not speaking directly to some of these new voters that you need to come out and vote. Uh, it's difficult uh, for anybody running against the incumbent uh, or for the incumbent, you know, for that matter. You just don't have that sort of person to person energy you would normally have in an election where we're not, you know, being impacted by a worldwide pandemic. So uh, that's something, too, to keep in mind that that person to person, you know, face to face is not there. All right. J.R. Davis, Seth Mays, thank you, gentlemen. We appreciate you joining us this morning. I'll let you get on with the rest of your day, and I'll talk to you again after the election next Thursday. The Dave Ellswick Show, 1011 FM, The Answer. Till I get rid of every single flaw And I will be the world's best friend If you've joined us uh, there on Facebook, I'm not in the studio today. I am at home doing the show uh, because all of my guests are on phone today. So uh, with that in mind, didn't need to drive all the way into the station and do the show. Turn on my equipment here and and do the show with you and uh, sound like I'm sitting in the studio doing it. But the bottom line is. Uh, here in this half hour, it's just going to be me and you. If you want to be involved in the show, you can. All you got to do is call in 823-0965, 823-0965. And uh, interesting, yesterday the Girl Scouts put out a uh, post, uh, and it was a picture on a, a green background, you know, because it is the Girl Scouts, and it said, Congratulations, Amy Coney Barrett, on becoming the fifth woman appointed to the Supreme Court since its inception in 1789. And it uh, says Supreme uh, female Supreme Court justices, and it's got pictures of Sandra Day O'Connor, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, Sona Sotomayor. It's got uh, Elena Kagan, and then it's got a picture of Amy Coney Barrett. Well, the left just bombarded the Girl Scouts, saying, how dare you put Amy Coney Barrett uh, on that? Uh, And uh, so they pulled it down. Uh, They said that, uh, here's what they tweeted. They later tweeted this. Earlier today, we shared a post highlighting the five women who have been appointed to the Supreme Court. It was quickly viewed as a political and partisan statement, which was not our intent, and we've removed the post. You shouldn't have removed the post. I'm just saying, you should not have removed the post. Of course it's not partisan. That's a matter of fact. Those are the five women who now have been confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States. The only five women ever confirmed to the Supreme Court. Now, it would have been partisan if you'd put uh, four and didn't put Amy Coney Barrett on it. 
because uh, Trump had nominated her and the, and the Senate uh, confirmed her. Now, that would have been partisan, but it wasn't partisan by putting all five up there. Uh, Megan Kelly was tweeting, and she said, this is a pathetic at Girl Scouts. It's not partisan to uh, congratulate the fifth woman ever to join the high court. It's patriotic. Taking your tweet down is partisan, however, and a real disappointment. Katie Pavlich said, I thought the Girl Scouts was about female empowerment. Well, y'all lost your way a long time ago, but this is a new low. Wow. All right. I mean, I have to to fall right in line with that type of, of feeling uh, about the Girl Scouts. Of course, um, I'm, you know how I feel about the Boy Scouts and, and, and the rest of that. It's just a sad day about... Uh, what's been going on uh, with both of those organizations. Uh, they lost their way when they both said, well, the Boy Scouts said, well, girls can join us and be part of the Boy Scouts. And Girl Scouts said, well, boys can join us and be part of the Girl Scouts. And I'm like, then why have either organization? Why have either organization? Why not just have the Scouts? So ridiculous. All right, uh, New York Times, Anonymous. Remember Anonymous a few years back? And, uh, you know, the op-ed that was in the New York Times and talking about uh, all the higher-up, a bunch of them were together and, and trying to, uh, to to stop Donald Trump from doing what he was doing. And uh, this was some high-up person uh, in the... Uh, in the administration, well, now we know uh, who it was. Uh, you know, it's gotten horrible for the New York Times when even members of the corporate press are criticizing them. Uh, the alleged news uh, outlet uh, was pilloried by journalists for overhyping the anonymous anti-Trump author who penned a scathing piece back in 2018 about the uh, the president, the anonymous author who wrote the piece for the Times, has revealed himself now. Was it Deep Throat again? No, it was a guy by the name of Miles Taylor. He's a former Homeland Security staffer. After that hit the news, it became obvious uh, that the New York Times had exaggerated his role in the Trump administration, remember all the things that they said, a high-ranking Trump administration? This guy ain't high-ranking. I'm just telling you. He's not even middle-ranking. He was just, a, you know, a worker bee. Uh, so anyway, uh, they told him, they, they told us all, what was the words that they used? Um, they said that he was a, I know now, senior, a senior Official, That's what they said. This guy wasn't a senior official. Taylor was a low-level staffer at the time that he wrote that piece. Matt Whitlock, who's the senior advisor at the National Republican Senatorial Committee, pointed out on Twitter that the author of the piece was only a policy advisor. And he wrote this. Let me read what he wrote. He says, The New York Times answered a bunch of written questions 
about why they decided to publish the op-ed and defended the use of senior administration official. They used the phrase upper echelons of an administration. But Taylor wasn't even upper echelons of the Department of Homeland Security. To put it simply, Anonymous was not some high-level official who was in the know, like the Times made him sound, to anyone that has a lick of common sense. It seems obvious that the alleged newspaper deliberately uh, exaggerated Taylor's role in the government to make his article seem credible. In fact, not only credible, but it was super credible because it was a senior administration official that was saying all that crap back in 2018. And the never folks fell for it like lemmings walking off of a cliff. Progressives salivated over Taylor's article like adolescent boys looking at uh, a Playboy magazine for the first time. But it didn't stop there. The anonymous government official even wrote a book titled A Warning, which was just a long-form version of his article. Now that Taylor has identified himself as anonymous, the grift has been exposed. That's right. They, they, he used you, man, and the, and the media used you, especially New York Times. And people on social media clobbered the New York Times for its role in deceiving the public. Even some left-leaning members of the media lashed out at the Times for being so blazingly dishonest. Jonathan uh, uh, Swan from Axios says, Hey, I did also didn't realize the definition of senior administration official could be, in quotes, this expansive. Vox co-founder Matthew uh, Glacius Uh, posted a tweet noting that the Times framed the article in a way that made it seem more authoritative. He wrote, there's a legitimate role for for having these anonymous sources in journalism, but that op-ed embodied one of its worst uses where you obscure the source of information primarily to make the source sound more important than he really is. And then Bloomberg News senior White House reporter Jennifer Jacobs tweeted, quote, a lot of this reaction from senior Trump aides who work very closely with the president, some saying they barely knew Miles Taylor and argue he wasn't a significant part of big decisions or meetings with Trump or Pence. And then it goes without saying that, of course, those on the right are lambasting this uh, Greg Jarrett. Uh, Fox News tweeted, people who trash others anonymously are cowards. Those who then lie about it are dishonest. Perfect for CNN, Miles Taylor was a distant, disconnected figure who pretended to be some prominent Trump administration insider. His tweet today shows he's also a grammatical idiot. All right, so anyway. We'll leave it at that. I just wanted to bring that up to you. Anonymous was not some senior official. You know, you remember all the stories. Was it Colin Powell? Was it this person? Was it that person? And it was none of those people. It was nobody. It was a nobody. It was somebody who was in the Department of Homeland Security who wasn't part and parcel to any big meetings or any big decisions. 
somebody who had a bureaucratic job. That's all it was. But the New York Times made it sound like somebody big, big, big. So why would you ever believe anything that the New York Times now has to say? I haven't for a long time, nor have I of the Washington Post. All right, got to get our break in 17 minutes after 7. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Dr. Gracie Christie will be with us from the Catholic Association. Uh, And as a Catholic, she's going to talk about why she's voting for Donald Trump. She thinks that if you're Catholic, you should be voting for him as well. And uh, we'll talk about that at the bottom of the hour after uh, Rush. But right now, I need to tell you about my good friends over at PI Roofing. Uh, PI Roofing is a roofing company. Uh, they were, you know, put together as a business that way. Uh, Joel Johnson started this business, he and his wife Veronica. Here's what he used to do. He used to drive around neighborhoods, and just by looking at the, uh, the roofs of the different houses, he could tell which houses had problems. He could tell, you know, where there probably were leaks and things of that nature. That's where the roof leak detective came from and he knocked on doors and he said hey i think you got a problem with your roof uh would you let me go up and take a look at it and uh, no cost to you and he'd go up and walk the people's roof and he'd find the problems and then he would solve the problem with them because i'm going to tell you what pi roofing has one thing in common with bumper to bumper certified service centers on cars they don't work on the problem, whether it's a car or a roof. They fix the problem. You know that when PI Roofing comes to your house and you hire them to take care of the problems with your roof, it's going to get fixed. Just letting you know. It's going to get fixed. How do I know? They've worked on my house several times over the 18 years that I've owned this home. And they'll be doing it again next year because I think I'm going to need a new roof and have it put on. And I'm looking to sell my home within the next couple of years. So getting a new roof will be something that I want to do. All right. It's uh, 719. we got to get a break. PI Roofing, by the way, you can call them the same way I do, 707-3551, 707-3551, or go online to PI Roofing. Dot com. All right, back. We got uh, about six minutes, and uh, Rush should join us. And then in the next half hour, uh, Dr. Grazy Case, uh, Christie will be with us uh, to talk about, uh, from the Catholic Association, to talk about uh, voting for Trump from a Catholic uh, perspective. All right, so uh, a lot of uh, big pop stars have uh, signed an open letter on a newspaper ad uh, for Planned Parenthood. Now, Planned Parenthood uh, published this uh, full-page ad in six swing state newspapers. Now, i got a question for you. Why do that? How many people read newspapers anymore? How many people read the newspaper to such an extent that they're looking f- at the full-page ads from Planned Parenthood? I th- Just between you and I and the fence post, waste of money as far as I'm concerned. Wrong place to put your money. You put your money in better places uh, on television, on radio, or on the Internet than you could uh, in a, uh, a newspaper. 
But anyway, the uh, letter was signed by hundreds of musical artists like the Beastie Boys, uh, the, the Breeders, the Chicks, St. Vincent, Queens of the Stone Age, Phoebe, uh, Phoebe Bridges, Angel Olsen, Bright Eyes, Margot Price, we- Weezer, uh, and others. Uh, now, I'm going to be honest, out of all those names that I just read, I only know two of those groups, all right? The Beastie Boys, of course, because Beastie Boys have been around forever. And then Weezer, because Weezer's been around forever. All right, so I, I know who they are, but I couldn't tell you who the Breeders are or the Chicks or Queens of the Stone Age, although I have heard their name. I'm not, uh, I'm not very cognizant of their music. In the ad, Planned Parenthood states that the swearing-in of Justice Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court puts abortion at extreme risk. Now, I'm, I'm wondering if they, I, I wonder, did they actually use abortion? Uh, it says, quote, united, our voices can change the direction of this country. Voting shapes our lives and has lasting effects. After the rushed confirmation of Justice Amy Coney Barrett, which it was not, uh, it was not rushed. In the midst of a pandemic, uh, I guess if we were in a world war, uh, you know, you would never you know, nominate a Supreme Court justice. Uh, we now face a Supreme Court that puts our health and freedoms, including our right to safe and legal abortion, at extreme risk. The damage already inflicted on our country will last for generations. We can't afford any further assaults on our reproductive freedom, our right to control our bodies. We need your voice. This election, more than any other, will determine our health rights and our future. Now we decide. We need every voice. Vote because your body is your own. The uh, ad continues. Uh, In a statement, Planned Parenthood Action Fund President Alex McGill Johnson said uh, that uh, everything is on the line with this election. Everything is on the line. Voters across the country understand that we need leaders who will fight to protect our rights and access to health care in every branch of government. That's why tens of millions of Americans have already cast their ballots by mail or in person in states with early voting, uh, she said. Now, think about this, Alexa. Uh, You say that. What happens if the majority of voters think just the opposite of you do? Uh Uh-oh. You got problems. Uh, quote, as we face a Supreme Court that now poses an even greater threat to people's health care access and reproductive rights. Now, I've always told you that for the left, abortion is a, a holy sacrament. There is exactly what I've been saying in a nutshell for you from this lady from Planned Parenthood. Quote, as we face a Supreme Court that now poses an even greater threat to people's health care access and reproductive rights. That is the number one issue for them. Uh, We know there is power in exercising our right to vote. We are proud to partner with musicians for we need every voice to mobilize more people to use their voices and their votes to help elect the leaders that will protect our future, our health, our rights, and our freedoms. Um, anyway, uh, Michael Stipe, My Morning Jacket, Phineas G. Easy, Tenacious D, uh, Spoon, uh, Tegan and Sarah, Jenny Lewis, Fleet Foxes, the Postal Service, and Lindsey Buckingham also signed the ad. And again, in that group there, I know about three names, Lindsey Buckingham, 
being the number one ad that I know there since he was such a big part of uh, uh, Fleetwood Mac. All right, time to get to Rush. Let's uh, find out what he he has to say. And then I'll be back uh, with Dr. Gracie Christie of the Catholic Association. Well, that's 24 minutes till 8 o'clock. And uh, one of my favorite writers, and uh, I go to their website, uh, the Catholic Association, and, and read articles that uh, she's included in because she's such a clear thinker. And there's not, look, when it comes to... Um, culture issues. It's important that you find people that are clear thinkers, and Dr. Gracie Christie is with us, and she's a clear thinker. She understands her philosophy. She carries her philosophy uh, to its, uh, you know, its its limits to where it takes her to, just like Francis Schaeffer said you should. And, uh, you know, she says a lot, of, she brings up a lot of great things. She She's out talking about why she's, as a Catholic, uh, she's going to vote for Donald Trump. And I want to get into this discussion with her quickly. Uh, doctor, I'm going to agree with a lot of people that, that Donald Trump as president uh, sometimes is not my cup of tea. But I will say this much, that Donald Trump, uh, as far as uh, what he has done uh, for our country, I believe is right exactly what our country has has needed. And I'll vote for him. Well, I've already have voted for him again for reelection. I mean, is, is that the kind of way you've been looking at this? You look at the policies and 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 not the man. I mean, or, I mean, how did how did you go about deciding you're going to vote for Donald Trump? Well, yes, um, exactly. Because when President Trump was elected, I think most people who are uh, traditional in their mindset, maybe people of faith, conservative, people who put family and country first, we thought to ourselves, "Hmm, what does this mean?" <laughs> yeah, because he was in. He, I can't even say he was an unknown quantity, but he was a quantity that had uh, he had he had shown us different parts of his life, and they didn't and and his personality, and they didn't quite add up to what we thought was going to bring um, goodness and the common good to our country, the things that our country needs as president. But he has uh, pleasantly surprised me over the last four years to the point where I'm very enthusiastic to vote for him uh, because I think that he has, um, he has delivered on things that make a lot of sense to me as, as, as a mother, as a wife, as an American, as a woman of faith, um, and as a real patriotic American, someone who really wants what's right for this country. I feel that he has delivered. I got to ask this question of you because it's a, it's a question that, when I hear it, I just shake my head. And it's people who say, well, you know, you may have your religious beliefs, but they should have no place in your decisions in our culture. And I I look at people like, what? Yeah, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. How can you not believe something deeply and it not have an effect on how you know, as a as a, uh, you know, a senator or a congressman or whatever. I mean, I understand that there's laws of the of the land, but your faith should be a guiding principle in how you live your life. 
Well, yes, and and we have the the duty to to express ourselves politically as citizens, and to bring our beliefs into how we vote and how we conduct ourselves. Because, for instance, as a Christian, as a Catholic, I believe that my first priority is to love God above all things, and my second priority is to love my fellow uh, man as as I love myself. And right. if I ha- if I am going to fulfill that priority to love the other, then I have to vote for things that I think are going to lift most people and other Americans out of whatever misery they live in, whether it's poverty or ignorance or family dysfunction, drug abuse, whatever is destroying people, my responsibility is to care for them and to help lift them out. And I do that through my voting. You know, back in 1960, uh, the Democratic Party had to fight against anti-Catholic uh, uh, beliefs at that time. People saying because uh, John F. Kennedy was a, a practicing Catholic, he'd answer to the Pope instead of the people, and 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 all the rest that went on uh, during that time. Now I was just I was just a kid, but I remember those discussions uh, in my household and uh, in, in, in going on and. Uh, but here we are in 2020, and we have a woman sitting in front of a uh, Senate uh, Judicial uh, uh, Committee, and her Catholicism is being challenged. And they're saying that she's a radical, a radical uh, Catholic. What was it that Durbin said? Are you an Orthodox Catholic? I mean, holy cow, how times have changed. I wish that everybody took their religion that seriously. Whatever person's religion is, they should take it very seriously and be very orthodox in their, in their practice because, because then it's not your religion. Your religion is how you organize your life in relation to God. And that should, that should impinge upon every single aspect of your life. And I think what happened with Amy Coney Barrett is that she is a person who obviously uh, lives a life in which her belief system and her faith... Um, shapes every part of it and so that scares the secular left because they're very comfortable with catholics um someone like vice president joe biden they're very they're very comfortable they're very comfortable with him because he lives he he professes his faith but he doesn't live it uh yeah the way that amy coney barrett does so they're comfortable with him they say oh it's okay he's catholic we love catholics but then someone like amy coney barrett who actually lives her faith to its fullness, they're not comfortable with because they really don't respect people of faith. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the same way with uh, Pelosi. I mean, Pelosi says she's Catholic, but, uh, you know, I, I have to question that. <laughs> I'm not Catholic, by the way, just so you know, but I know enough about what you, you all believe that she don't believe the way a Catholic supposed to believe. I mean, it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy anymore. And um you know, p- people can say, what, what's the old saying? What was it my grandfather said? You can, you can talk the talk, but do you walk the walk? And, uh, right. you know, and, and he was a Southern Baptist preacher. And that's why he didn't do a lot of things that I didn't think there was any big deal in, uh, in doing. But he didn't want to give anybody a, uh, an argument to, to question his faith. You know, I mean, that's that's where he stood and, and that's that's where he uh, he believed. And uh, 
I, well, I just he was a man. He was a man of integrity. He showed integrity in his life. What he professed, he acted on, and and he lived it through to its natural conclusions. And the secular left doesn't respect people like that because they want people to have religion, sure, uh, but to have religion as something private that you do on a Sunday or a Saturday for an hour, but then don't bring it to work with you and don't bring it to the voting booth and don't bring it to your to the public square. And, you know, people of faith, that's, we can't live like that because it has to shape all our life. All right, we got to take a break. Let's do that. When we come back, we got more to talk about. I'll let you talk directly to people who are saying, uh, well, I'm not going to go to the polls. I'm not going to vote for either Trump or Biden. Uh, you know, I just I just can't do it. I'd like you to tell them why it's important to vote uh, for Trump for reelection. We'll be back in just a moment. Uh, we're looking at uh, about quarter till eight. I want to remind you about Hillcrest Designer Jewelry at 3000 Cavanaugh. They're ready to take your order right now for a unique piece of jewelry for the person you want to give it to uh, that ha- that will show their personality in the jewelry that you can't buy at just every big box store across central Arkansas. It will be absolutely unique and priceless to them because it's a piece that was designed just for them. That uh, Eric... Uh, of Coleman, the owner of Hillcrest Designer Jewelry, can save you money on diamonds. He can save you money on on uh, colored gemstones, and even if you just want to do different pieces of you know rock, quartz, things of that nature, he can save you money uh, with that as well. That's Hillcrest Designer Jewelry, three thousand Cavanaugh, right here in Little Rock. Hey, if you just joined us, uh, Dr. Gracie Christie is with us from the Catholic Association. And uh, one of those clarion bells that we look for that writes and uh, very clearly and, and explains her position very clearly. And she's talking with us today about why she's voting uh, for Donald Trump for reelection. What do you say to the person, though, who's sitting out there and saying, I'm just not going to the polls because I don't like either one of these candidates? What do you say to them, doctor? I, I think it's uh, our duty to vote as, as citizens and also as people who care for the common good and want to advance the common good. And I also think that there are very clear um, markers that make uh, President Trump desirable for re-election and, and, and someone we can be proud to vote for. We don't have to be proud about his Twitter feed or proud of his rhetoric or of his personal life and whatever it is about him that disturbs us, but we can be proud of his record and we can be very happy to recommend to to vote for that for another four years of that kind of record. You know, if presidents in the past had been covered as closely as presidents in the present, there's a lot of uh, historically great men that would be looked at as not being historically great men. We know that they were adulterers. We know that they did a lot of things that uh, a lot of us wouldn't do. But yet we also know that they they. They carried this country at times to times of, uh, you know, pain, sorrow, war, all kinds of things and did a great job. And, uh, you know, people voted for him. But, you know, the personal life uh, or, or, you know, what, uh, you know, a, pre- a, a president was, uh, people didn't pay as much attention to. They wanted to know what they did as far as policy went, how that was going to affect them. 
I think that, I think that's, that's a big difference. It's a big difference, and also we have to remember that the media, for more than four years, has been um, severely um, nasty, really, really nasty about President Trump, and there is a nonstop barrage of abuse and nitpicking about him. How many scoops of ice cream did he have? You know, was he yeah. was he smiling or not smiling? Was he um, so? We're all of us have been infected by that lens through which the media is portraying him to one extent or another. We can't help but be inf- by, by be affected by that. And yeah. um, and and it's not being applied to the other candidate. And it's never been applied to a presidential candidate before in the history of mankind in the history of our country. There's never been so much abuse heaped on one person and so much scrutiny. So it's not just that there is more scrutiny now is that even today the amount of scrutiny is crazy by by today's standards yeah and i agree and and i want to talk about one other thing with you uh before i let you go and and that is again i want to go back to amy coney barrett and something that she did and i and i keep reminding my listeners that no good uh work goes unpunished and she and her husband adopted two children uh, from Haiti and, uh, and, and, and gave them a good life. They've got a great life right now. But yet she's been attacked by about it, saying that she's a colonialist, that she's a white supremacist. Uh, and it, it, it just amazes me that, you're, that, that she was helping these children and somehow because she's a conservative, she shouldn't be doing it. And more importantly, she's white which means that she shouldn't uh, be doing it. Uh, you and I talked a little bit about that, and uh, it's really disgusting, to be honest. It, it makes me see red because uh, my husband and I, I'm Hispanic. My husband and I have biological children, but we also adopted a, a daughter from China. And the reason people adopt people like us who already have biological children is because we've, we, find, we, fi- we feel a calling to bring a child who has no home into our home and give them love. That's all we want to give them. We are not interested in their race. We're not interested in their birth culture or, or any, any, any deficiencies that they might come with because of the way they were born and, and raised in an orphanage, possibly. Um, well, and then to take that and to twist it into something ugly, as they've done with Amy Coney Barrett, is very, very horrifying. Well, here's a woman who's living out her faith. The Bible says we're supposed, as Christians, we're supposed to take care of the widows and the orphans, and that's what she's doing. What is so, what is so wrong with that? Other than it's a religious thought. Yes, and they, yes, the secular left hates hates to see people living out their faith fully. Although I would suggest, if she were a woman, a liberal woman, they would find a way to avoid that talk or, or just to, to make it sound beautiful as it is beautiful and say that she was generous and kind and, and she did a beautiful act when, many, when most people would never dream of it, most people who already had four children or yeah. already had several children. 
And, and to finish up with you, the Girl Scouts of America had a uh, put out a meme uh, yesterday that had all five of the women who have served on the U.S. Supreme Court, from Sandra Day O'Connor, who was the first, to Amy uh, Coney Barrett, who is the uh, most recent, and uh, their pictures and talking about how great that was. And the left attacked the Girl Scouts because they said that that was a partisan uh, statement for, for uh, uh, Barrett. In, in reality, it was nothing more than celebrating, I would say, for a better word, women empowerment for which the Girl, uh, the Girl Scouts stand. Well, and that tells you exactly what the feminist uh, movement is all about. The feminist movement is not about the empowerment and support of women. It's about promote, moving one kind of political narrative. And Amy Coney Barrett is a woman, but she's not the kind of woman that the feminists admire. Um, she's a, a nice, conventional, traditional woman who lives her faith and, and has a beautiful family. And that's not what they want to see held up and put on a pedestal. So it doesn't matter that she's a woman. What matters to them is that she's the wrong kind of woman. Well, it's for sure what Margaret Sanger wouldn't want to see in a woman. That's for sure. Uh, one of their, uh, you know, uh, I guess... Uh, Gods for they're a better, eating, better they're, word. They're guiding light. Yeah, the eugenicist is their guiding light. Absolutely, Doc. Thanks so much. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Like I said, you're one of those clear thinkers out there, and I love having clear thinkers. You, Ben Shapiro, and others are are uh, really clear voices uh, in many times in a very dark culture that we live in. Thanks so much for the time today. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye-bye now. Dr. Gracie Christie from the Catholic Association. Just Google Catholic Association. Uh, you'll be able to find her and uh, their, their, their cause and uh, read the th- things that uh, uh, they're writing out there. But she's voting for Trump. All right. Just so you know, she's voting for Trump. I mean, if, if you're at all involved in the conservative move of the culture, you vote for Trump. Uh, you, you can't. I don't think you can vote for the other side. I've been very adamant about that for years. Okay, I mean, you just look at just look at the platforms. That's all you got to do. All right, coming up after the uh, the, the news, we got uh, some financial talk for you. I will be back on at six o'clock, and uh, Grover Norquist will be with me. We'll talk taxes with him. We'll talk health care. And uh, we'll talk the new GDP number for the third quarter that's out. It's higher than what they were anticipating, and that's a good thing. That's coming up at 6 o'clock on the Dave Ellswick Show. And Thursday, and uh, it is uh, 6 o'clock in the evening, 
And uh, we've got a great guest with us always. Uh, the, the 6 o'clock hour has become the hour to listen to here at 1011 uh, of the Dave Ellswick Show. And Grover Norquist today uh, joins the Dave Ellswick Show. Whenever I'm in Washington, D.C., I try to catch his uh, meeting that he has with, with conservatives and find out what's going on on the conservative movement all across the United States. But if I want to talk to somebody about taxes as well or health care, it's Grover that I turn my attention to. He is the founder and president of Americans for Tax Reform, uh, which is an organization that opposes tax increases. And uh, as you know, as you've listened to my show over the years, I'm of the same ilk. Uh, Like you're going to get a chance to vote on issue one uh, during this election, which would, would you would vote a half cent sales tax on yourself and you would include it in the state constitution. I think that's insane. And I hope that you'll vote against issue one. I have already voted against it. Uh, The whole thing about putting that money towards roads, if they would govern correctly, they wouldn't have to raise taxes. Government has plenty of money. But I'm running after a rabbit right now. Grover is here ready to go. I'm, I'm doing his shtick for him. I'll stop. How you doing today, Grover? You did it well. <clears throat> what uh, Arkansas politicians are trying to do, raising a temporary increase in the sales tax a number of years ago, and said, oh, don't oppose it. It's temporary. And then they turn around and go, we're going to keep it. It's not going to go back down. We're going to keep the higher sales tax, and it's not a tax increase because we already put it at that level temporarily. So they try and slide a permanent tax increase in, lying about putting it in, lying it isn't a tax increase, and two lies are supposed to make it okay. And you're quite right. Competent government reforms itself to cost less and to provide good governance. If they wanted to prioritize roads, they'd pass the road budget first, then everything else. But the reason why they don't pave the roads is it's such a good idea. It's such a great argument for raising taxes. And yes. if they ever actually took the first money they got and paved the roads, then, then how would they sell us on the stupid money for stupid things? <laughs> you can't do it. So roads are for raising taxes, not building. Well, and, and you know, it's it, too it, many politicians. It's such a commonsensical thing if you think about it. I mean, when I when I do my budget. I pay my house payment first, and then I pay my – I don't have a car payment right now, but if I had a car, I'd be paying my car payment. I buy food. I pay the electric bill. I prioritize everything that's really important, and it gets paid first, and then all the other stuff comes secondly. And if I get to the end of the month and I can't go to the movie and take my – and go out and have dinner, I don't. Yep. Uh, during the Cold War, the Democrats in Congress always put the defense budget last in order to force the Republicans to try and give them more money. He said, oh, you spent everything on other stuff. So right. it's a deliberate effort to do it backwards. It's not, it's not like I forgot. Yeah, it's, it's not like they don't understand it. I agree. They understand all too well. That's, that's the key of, of all of this. So how are you feeling about the election? I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I think Trump's going to get reelected. I certainly hope so. It's extremely important. Biden has made it very clear uh, that he would repeal all of the Trump tax cuts, uh, which means, among other things, that the capital gains tax would go from 20 to 40 percent, 
twice what communist China uh, charges. You can imagine capital would flow out of the world into China, away from the United States. Uh, the corporate income tax, which is now 21 percent, was 35 under Biden and Obama, 35 percent. That was 10 points higher than communist China. China is at 25. We were at 35, and we wondered why people built factories in China. Well, they don't take as much of what you earned as Biden and Obama did. We took it down to 21, made us much more competitive, tremendous growth, real opportunities there. Biden wants to take it back up over 25, so we're no longer competitive with China, and he's promised repeatedly to do that. And then, of course, there's the 5 million Americans who are hit by the uh, Obama uh, care tax penalty. This was the penalty. $700 to $2,000. If you didn't buy Obamacare, you didn't get anything for it. It was a punishment because you didn't buy Obamacare. Uh, Five million Americans were hit with that. Three quarters of them earned less than $50,000 a year. So this, and Biden is saying, I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to bring it back. And he said it in front of TV cameras. So he can't right. lie well and tell you, or oh, I'm never taxing anyone who makes less than $400,000. That's, that's what he says. But the corporate tax, 70 percent of what corporations earn, goes to workers, goes to employees, goes into salaries and pensions and benefits, 70 percent. And the stuff that, and the part that goes to investors, like people who buy stock or lend the money, well, who owns stock in this country? There are 100 million Americans. 53 percent of all households have a 401k or an IRA where they're saving their life savings or accumulating. Um, and what happens when you raise the corporate income tax? The value of the companies go down uh-huh. and your life savings collapse. They went up dramatically uh, as a result of the Trump tax cuts, but they're going to go down again if Biden ever got his hands on taking that corporate rate again. So he thinks that raising corporate taxes doesn't hit middle income people. It hits them in their salary and their pensions and benefits, and it hits them in their life savings and reduces all of them. His tax. Oh, and then I left out the uh, the gasoline tax, the tax he wants to put on uh, all energy in the country. Well, you know, it's not just one percent of the population that drives a car, or heats their houses, or has air conditioning, or buys things at stores that trucks deliver things to the stores. Uh, that is a middle-income gouging tax that they hope to turn into a value-added tax, like Europe, which is a twenty percent sales tax in most of the European countries. That's their goal for us. But they start with an energy tax because it sounds oh, carbon tax. I don't have any carbon. That must not affect uh-huh. me. Yes, it does. Yeah, sure it does. And, you know, it's not just uh, uh, gasoline that will go up. I mean, uh, you look at what he wants to do as far as energy and, and get away from fossil fuels and go more solar and go more wind, which will drive up the cost of electricity. I mean, here in, in Arkansas, our electric rates are fairly low. Uh, they're going to skyrocket if we got to do solar and, and wind and not natural gas. He's trying to create an entire industry that's subsidized. Solar doesn't work without subsidies. Wind doesn't work without subsidies. The other, you know, natural gas, oil, nuclear power, water, um, those all work without subsidies. They're called sustainable. Um, but the ones that you have to subsidize, uh, first of all, you get the corruption like Solyndra, $200 right. million dollars that disappeared of our tax dollars. That was part of a stimulus. I stimulated somebody's paycheck or somebody's bank account that didn't create energy. Uh, and w- when you have 
politicized industries to become thoroughly corrupt. Yeah, and I and I agree. And Solyndra was a perfect example of that. Remember that big building that they built, their corporate headquarters, and people went in and uh, all that money that Americans had given to had, had been given to them. They had bought crystal chandeliers and all kinds of stuff for their corporate offices. That was paid by the taxpayers. You know, and, and it didn't produce energy. No, it didn't do anything. And what what's really bad about that, you know, Grover, is how soon people forget that stuff. I mean, we're talking six years ago. Yes. And Biden is trying to sell all the things that didn't work under Obama, the so-called stimulus spending. Uh, remember, $800 billion dropped on the table, Obama phones uh, handed out to people, uh, you know, just, just free money. The Obama economy was in recovery after six months. So it was growing, not very much, but it was growing. It was the weakest recovery since World War II. And there were about five or six. The Reagan recovery was the strongest. It had the most jobs, the most income growth, the most GDP growth. The Obamacare was the weakest one. You think that politicians, if they cared about science, social science, they would say, what didn't work? And you make a list of all the things Obama did that gave you a very low rate of recovery. Uh, incomes really didn't uh, grow. Uh, and the Reagan recovery, where they grew a lot. And from 2018 to 2019, the first year of the tax cut, the median family income, the dead center of family income, went up 6.8%. Okay. In the entire eight years of Obama, that median income didn't go up 6.8%. It went up about a third less than that. In eight years, what Trump produced in one. That's why even with COVID and the government shutdowns, I mean, COVID didn't shut down the economy. Governors shut down the economy saying COVID. Some some things were helpful. A lot of it was overkill. Um, Yes, you can go to casinos. No, you can't go to churches. That's not science. That's politics. Uh, But a lot of governors really misused that. Uh, to punish their enemies and reward their friends. And you can imagine how corrupt those decisions were as to who gets to stay open and who gets their business destroyed uh, yeah. as, as a result of that. Uh, but the Reagan, the, the Obama recovery for eight years moved the center of the, of the American people's incomes up a third less than in one year of Trump. Uh, COVID hurt. But we're back on track to go. We're going to see the growth, the uh, uh, numbers today. They probably just came out. They're supposed to come out at eight fifty. Yeah, they are. They said that they were they were expecting they were expecting thirty two percent growth for the third quarter. It's over thirty three percent. Wow, that is that that is an amazing growth number, and that we've been growing so rapidly since we hit got hit, uh, and then the strong growth. We could do better if they, you know, not pass these massive spending bills. We were actually, of course, because Nancy Pelosi wanted this, uh, added $2,400 to month, monthly unemployment uh, benefit to the states already paying about half of your uh, income uh, because you're unemployed. So we added $2,400 to that. 68% of Americans who lost their jobs ended up having more money out of work than in work. So when you talk to all sorts of smaller businessmen, they couldn't get people to come back to work. They were, they were there, but they 
we're making more money not working than working. And that, that has slowed what would be an even stronger recovery today. I mean, I'm just proud of all the Americans who went back to work because it was the right thing to do and not continue on unemployment. I'm with you. Our guest, uh, Grover Norquist, he, uh, of course, has been a political activist uh, dealing with tax policy and and other things uh, for many, many years. Uh, I've been lucky enough to have him on my show quite often. He's a great, uh, a great uh, uh, speaker. And uh, we've had him here into uh, Arkansas to do that. He is the president and founder of Americans for Tax Reform. we got to get a break in. When we come back, we'll finish up our conversation with him on this Thursday in the 6 o'clock hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. If you just joined us on the Dave Ellswick Show here in the 6 o'clock hour, Grover Norquist is our special guest. He's going to be with us for about another seven minutes. He is the founder and president of Americans for Tax Reform. And and we were just talking uh, during the break. And one of the things that he was asking me is why are Arkansans seem to be lining up to vote themselves a tax increase? And Grover, if I had that, that's like the $64 trillion question. I wish I could answer that, to be honest. I, I really do. I mean, Arkansas, when it comes to sales taxes, has the number two uh, most sales tax of anywhere in the country. It, it's it's insane, absolutely insane. Uh, it, it's unfortunate because we know from the last 30 years of looking at it that people move to states that are reducing their taxes. They leave states that are raising taxes. Uh, and that's partly because they look and say, well, I'm <clears throat> going to move there. I'm going to be there for the next 50 years of my business. Um, if the state's raising taxes rather than reforming government, you know what they'll do five years from now and 10 years from now and 15 years from now and 20? Same thing. But if they're reducing taxes to get more jobs and growth, I mean, Florida, North Carolina, Texas, Tennessee, just this year has finished wiping out its income tax completely. They had a little bit of one. Now they got none. It's a no income tax state. Uh, And they're busy. Florida cuts taxes every year. They don't even have an income tax. They find other taxes to cut. People move there so much because of the tax cut. It wasn't always true. Uh, and that brings in more revenue because there are more people. Uh, and successful states have people moving into them with that. And it's, it's a danger to become part of the let's raise taxes to cover up incompetent governance. A politician who tells you I want to put money into roads, but the only way I'll put money into roads is if you give me a tax increase – has just told you that roads are their lowest priority, not their highest priority, lowest priority. Why? Well, everything else in the budget is more important than building roads and bridges. Everything else in the budget is. We'll only give you roads and bridges if you raise taxes. That is a politician who has said roads are my lowest possible uh, goal uh, and priority, and which then tells you what they'll actually do with the money they get. I gotta, I gotta tell you something here, Grover. You're gonna love this. I, I told you, uh, just before we broke in the last segment, that the the recent GDP number is out. The U.S. economy in the summer recovered much of the historically enormous ground it lost in the spring, expanding at the fastest rate on record in the third quarter, according to the Commerce Department. Okay, now this is CNN recording it. 
what great news this is. I mean, 33.1% when they were only expecting 32%. Uh, 33.1% between July and September. Faster rate of expansion than economists had predicted. But here's what CNN says. Still, the recovery remains incomplete. This is... This is what we talk yep. about, about the, the media. It is. I remember during the Reagan years, uh, they had a problem because since the tax, it's ever since the tax cut kicked in in 1983, uh, they created 4 million jobs that one year and unemployment kept falling. Every month they had to announce unemployment fell. And then they would say, but it fell slower for women or you know, for, for some other subs or for young people or whatever. So it's getting better for everybody, but not as quickly for, and, and it would change each month as to who, who was the laggard. And the Reagan people put together this wonderful uh, video of people announcing an unemployment fell again today, but, and then they, you know, just but, but, but. All right. Um, I think at some point people see that because you can recognize that the fundamentals of the economy are so strong. 60% of Americans told, told the pollsters that they are better off today than they were four years ago. Now, if you can imagine, this is COVID, shutdowns, the media bad-mouthing the economy for almost a year now, and they know they're better off today than they were under Biden and Obama, 60%. If people focus on that on Election Day, Trump will win. Yeah, I got to I got to give this to you. You're going to love this. I'm going to just read some headlines <laughs> from the press. Yeah. Here we go. CNN GDP report. U.S. economy grew at record 33.1 percent annual rate last quarter. But dark clouds still remain uh, political. GDP rebounds at record pace, but dark clouds reappear. Uh One more. The New York Times. Why the best GDP report ever won't mean the economy has healed. How's that one for you? Oh, for crying out loud. Um, (laughs) Yes, I guess that really is. Dark clouds. Sounds like somebody in the Democratic Party sent out a memo. Be sure to include dark clouds. Um, Look, we know it makes the economy grow. Lower income taxes, lower business taxes. Reining in spending, so that we, we and and getting the government out of things that the government shouldn't be in, less regulation. Uh, Trump has been doing all of those things with the Republican majorities in the House and the Senate, uh, and that has turned things around. And you do worry that sometimes people go, "Oh, I guess that's the new normal. It's always going to grow like this." If Biden gets in with the Democratic Congress, he will undo everything that increased the median income by 6.8% in one year, 2018 to 2019. And we'll be sliding backwards. The energy costs go up. Now it's in Germany that costs $5.70 uh, for a gallon of gasoline. Uh, you know, they sell it to you in liters to try and make it sound less expensive. But for, right. for a gallon, it's $5.70. California, I was out there, it's $4.50. You know, yeah. We can see the future of the guys who want to raise taxes and punish us all for living in the 21st century and having an industrial base and uh, because we should go back to, to how nice it was in the Middle Ages with windmills. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it, it, Grover, uh, 
I, I, I got to call an end. We're out, we're out of time. I do appreciate you coming on today. I want to have you back Thanks, on man. in the near future again. It's great having you. Grover Norquist, Americans for Tax Reform. Have a good one, Grover. We'll talk to you down the road here in the not-too-distant future. Great numbers GDP-wise, but if you read the headlines from a lot of the major news organizations, you sure as hell wouldn't know it. I'm just telling you, you wouldn't know it, you know. GDP up 33.1, but, you know, type of thing. All right, let's take a break. we got more coming your way at 6 o'clock on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, we continue on the Dave Ellswick Show on a Thursday. And uh, my thanks to Grover Norquist for joining us in the last uh, hour, or last half hour, pardon me, at 6 o'clock uh, hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Just he, he he's so right on on, on what he talks about, and he can give you the facts and the figures. Uh, and uh, and he was talking about the Reagan growth and how the media was just as, uh, you know, against Reagan as, as they are against Trump. I won't say that uh, they were as vicious uh, with President Reagan, although they were pretty vicious with President Reagan. And now it is the same with uh, with President uh, Trump. All right, so the GDP po- uh, report came out. The gross domestic product. Uh, how much is our economy making? What is the productivity of our economy? And uh, we, got, we got some good news today. Uh, coming off the worst quarter in history, and because uh, our economy uh, across the board in states was shut down by the governors of those states, uh, the U.S. economy grew at its fastest pace now ever in the third quarter as a nation uh, after coming out of being battered by an unprecedented pandemic and uh, is, is, is coming back together strongly, very strongly. And let me just say that if New York and California, uh, two uh, huge economies, would get their act together, uh, this would have been, we could have seen a, a GDP in the 40 percentile. But instead, they held it back. And I'm just telling you, that's politics. Run by two of the most uh, uh, vicious uh, progressives around, in Kumo and, and Newsom. Bottom line, third quarter domestic, uh, a measure of the total goods and services produced July to September expanded at a 33.1% annualized pace. That according to the Commerce Department today. That came after a 31.4% plunge in the second quarter and was better than the 32% estimate from economists surveyed by uh, Dow Jones. The previous post-World War II record was the 16.7% burst in the first quarter of 1950. 16.7% increase in one burst in one quarter was the biggest ever. And you've got to go back to 1950 to put this. This is double almost. Well, it is. It's double that. Double that. This is really, really good news. Excellent news. Uh, Markets are reacting uh, positively to the news with Wall Street now looking uh, basically to a flat, slightly positive opening. Got two things playing in Wall Street right now. You got Pelosi holding up, uh, you know, some more money coming out 
because of the pandemic uh, and, and, and not meeting some kind of a, of a decision with the Republicans. And so the market not expecting to see any kind of a, a matter of money coming in from the government went down this morning. It was at, at about uh, minus 111 when I looked at it at about uh, our time, 7 o'clock. Uh, and then this report came out. And the last time I looked, it was up about 20 points. So you've had almost a 100-point swing right now into the positive. Increased consumption, along with solid gains in business and residential investment, as well as exports, fueled the third quarter rebound. Uh, decreases in government spending following the expiration of the CARES Act rescue funding subtracted from the GDP. Uh, that's what I just told you. Uh, the powerful growth pace came after governments across the country had shut down large segments of activity in an effort to stem the spread of COVID-19, which the WHO declared a pandemic in March of uh, 11th. Since then, we've had 228,000 American lives lost, which was uh, nearly, and it's nearly infected nearly 9 million people. The economy has been in a technical recession since February as first quarter growth declined at a 5% pace. So there will be uh, uh, some more growth in the fourth quarter if we do not go back to these shutdowns that we did in the second quarter. Why are we seeing more people showing up uh, with COVID-19? Well, it's pretty. I think it's an easy explanation. You listen to our governor talk. You listen to governors in other states talk. You listen to national experts talk, and the amount of testing that we are doing is huge compared to what it was at the beginning of the pandemic. So if you're testing more and more people, you're going to find more and more people that have had the virus or are asymptomatic with the virus or even might be hot with the virus. But you're going to find more people because you're testing more people. It just makes more sense that the numbers are going to go up on the people uh, that are out there that have uh, are being identified with the virus. Now, something that they're not talking about, that the only time they talk about it is when they say, well, under President Trump, 228,000 people have died. The death rate has fallen significantly. I mean, go and look at the figures, folks. Don't just be a a lemming out there listening to these uh, people in the news organizations, you know, pull the numbers the way they want to do it. You know, it goes back to what I've always said. Uh, You know, figures don't lie, but liars figure. And that's what we're seeing happen right now. That's what's going on. Because by keeping you in a state of fear, they can control the way you live. They can get you to agree to give up your God-given inalienable rights. Because you're scared. And I don't think that you need to be uh, scared. Uh, Maybe at the beginning, yes, because we didn't know what we were dealing with. And even then, I'm going to give, I'm going to say that the way 
people reacted was ridiculous. This was not going to in any way, shape, or form uh, be like the Spanish flu. That wasn't going to happen. That we had a, a virus that we didn't understand completely. But we knew that we, you know, with some uh, a little bit of time, we could get it under control, and we have. And it's, it's, you know, under control more so now than it's ever been. And it's just like Grover said during our interview last half hour. When you say casinos can stay open, but churches have to close. Does that make sense to you? Does that make sense to you? Of course it doesn't. That's a rhetorical question. Or if it does, I got to look at you a little bit. I'll give you kind of that, that little, you know, like my mom used to look at me when she knew that I was telling a lie. And she had that look like, Davey, you can't believe that I honestly believe what you're telling me. But the bottom line is, you know, telling churches to stay closed, but we'll open casinos or keep the, keep the churches closed, but you can open up the racetracks and things of that nature. I'm just telling you, that's political. That's not science. That's political. What's going on? So um, just letting you know, this is a big boom. It's the biggest, largest, annualized pace that has ever happened in a quarter of this economy, ever. The highest before this was all the way back in 1950. And that was 16.7%. Now, and back then, they were, man, they were up on the tables dancing with that. And they had come out of World War II. And the economy was finally starting to really get it going again. And so they were excited. Now we have a 33.1% increase. And all people can say is, yeah, yeah, 33.1%. But, but. Look at all these, look at these other numbers here that are bad, just like Grover talked about. Yeah, great numbers, economy really growing, but amongst women, that, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to point out to you. Be excited. Uh, that 33.1% uh, was better than the 32% estimate uh, from a Dow Jones economist survey. I mean, if this had been 30, let's just say 31.7%, they would have, even though those were great numbers, they would have said, but it didn't meet the expectation of economists. See, th- this would have been reported some way negatively by the media, no matter how where, well it went, or, or, or I guess how bad it went. Uh, a surge in business and uh, residential investment. Uh, a lot of people go into Home Depot and, and I guess Lowe's along with stronger consumer activity, helped the economy off its worst ever quarter in uh, quarter two. Uh, home sales are, are, are booming, going, going like, you know, gangbusters. I, I guess if I was smart, I'm talking about selling in two years, I should do the little bit of work that needs to be done around my house and sell now. Probably get a, a much better price because it is a seller's market now. It's not a buyer's market uh, right now. If Biden gets elected, it's going to turn into a buyer's market, I'm sure. People are going to start holding on to their houses and not want to sell them because they don't want to lose money on them. And uh, that's going to be a possibility as uh, we go 
uh, go along. All right, so that's good news. Share that with your family. And you're having dinner tonight, sitting around the table. I hope you do that once in a while, at least once or twice during the week. Uh, You know, preach it to your kids. Talk to your kids. Explain to them why that's important. Help them to understand what GDP is all about and and why our economy now is is coming back and is uh, is is coming back and roaring coming back really roaring uh coming back all right uh, here on the Dave Ellswick show we got other things to even talk about there's other things that we should uh talk about we should talk about uh, some of the stories that have been big uh one of the big stories that is out uh, happened yesterday i talked about this in the first hour of the show, and since we're in the 6 o'clock now, uh, if you missed the early morning part of the show, I want to uh, come back and, and talk about uh, this story to you a little bit. Uh, Twitter and, uh, and Facebook and, and, and basically Twitter uh, CEOs were grilled by recover, uh, Republicans and cheered by Democrats uh, for uh, censorship. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, Ted Cruz uh, did uh, some major uh, attacking yesterday uh, during these uh, hearings with the tech uh, titans uh, on all of this. And I'll I'll bring it all to you when we get back. We've got to get a break in and get that taken care of. So let's uh, do our break. Then we'll come back and finish up uh, the Thursday show. But uh, Ted Cruz, bright shining light yesterday uh, and and uh, a big foil for CEO uh, Dorsey of Twitter. That's coming up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Senator Ted Cruz uh, out of Texas, senator uh, from Texas. Of course, he's a Republican. He uh, he took off after uh, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey yesterday during a hearing, a Senate hearing uh, with tech titans accusing him and his social media platform of improperly censoring reporting that reflected poorly on Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden asking at one point, who the hell elected you? Uh, The exchange comes as uh, the Republicans over the last several weeks have decried Twitter's actions to lock the New York Post Twitter account. This is from Fox News. Uh, and censor links to the outlet stories on Biden's son Hunter and his overseas business dealings. Now listen to what Dorsey said. And uh, you can call it BS just like you can call anything else BS. I call this BS, big time BS. I mean, if it's a if it, if if it's a pile and it's and and not only is it a pile, but it's steaming. It's a real pile of BS. Uh, Dorsey said this was due to a policy regarding hacked materials because the stories were based on emails from Hunter Biden's purported laptop. Here's the thing. They weren't hacked. His his emails weren't hacked. They they were there on his computer for everybody to see. Cruz noted that a New York Times article about President Trump's tax returns did not face that same treatment by Twitter, even though the materials were leaked illegally. And the New York Times even even admitted it. 
So he said, quote, Mr. Dorsey, who the hell elected you and put you in charge of what the media are allowed to report and what the American people are allowed to hear? And why do you persist in behaving as a, a Democratic super PAC, silencing views to the country, uh, to the contrary of your political beliefs? Now, Dorsey claimed that this was not the case. He also denied that Twitter has the ability to influence elections, a claim that Cruz uh, uh, denied. He denied this, that uh, Twitter does not have the ability to influence elections, a claim that Cruz decried as absurd. says, you're testifying to this committee right now that Twitter, when it silences people, when it censors people, when it blocks political speech, that that has no impact on elections? I mean, just take it at face value and you can see how ridiculous that is. Quote, people have a choice of other communication channels, Dorsey claimed. And Cruz shot back, not if they don't hear information. If you don't think you have the power to influence elections, then why do you block anything? Dorsey claimed that his policies are making sure more uh, voices on the platform are possible. We do that by silencing abuse and harassment. Now they make the decision on what is abuse and what is harassment. And uh, he claimed that individual users could now share that post story about Biden uh, on Twitter. But uh, soon after, Cruz tweeted that this was still not the case. Uh, It finally has come. Now, the exchange came to a Senate Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee hearing on what is known as Section 230 protections that keep social media platforms from being liable for statements made through their services. Dorsey appeared alongside Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg and Google CEO Sundar uh, Pachi, I think is how he pronounces his name, and uh, they all took a, a pretty good beating, and, and rightly so. And uh, another reason why we need to keep the Senate is this. They need to keep the heat on these people. And they're supposed to be like a bulletin board. They're supposed to put the material up, and then you read it, and you take it, and make out of it what you want to make out of it. But what they've done is become more like a publisher and they censor and they edit things that are going on their websites. And that, I think, tells me that they should lose that 230 exemption that they have right now with the Communications Act. So uh, that was a big, big story uh, that went down yesterday. It's kind of right now uh, being lost uh, in the GDP report that's going on and then uh Trump and Biden both are going to be down in Florida today, uh, you know, doing their thing as they make the big push at the end of the uh, uh, of the uh, election. Anyway, uh, today uh, I was mentioning early on that uh, uh, Shaver, one of the great writers in country music, had passed away at 81. You know, I'm I'm just a lump of coal and some of the great stuff and. Uh, he wrote a lot of the songs that Waylon Jennings made into huge, huge, huge hits. And uh, he passed away. And uh, are we ready to play some Waylon? 
Heidi? Yeah, we can. With that, in fact, let's go out with Waylon today. Uh, remember Billy Joe Schaefer as well? He's got to wrote the song. Waylon performed it. And the Outlaws performed a lot of his music back in the 70s. And here you go, a little bit of Schaefer music. Where does it go? The good Lord only knows. Seemed like it was just the other day. I was down in Green Gables. I hogging them tables and generally blowing all of my hard earned pay. Piney road blues, I dance holes in my shoes. Hey!